This is Views in Paradox. Classics. Welcome, any and all, to Views in Paradox Classic Edition, or Classics Edition, uh, in which three self-proclaimed filmmakers uh, attempt to further our education by dissecting a series of seminal classics going all the way back to the silent era. Uh, I'm your host, John Olson, and I will be joined for the entirety of this series by my intrepid colleagues, Jose Venutlo and Danielle Gibson. Welcome, Jose. This is your... Hello. <laughs> this is my intro. This is my intro. Okay. Hi. <laughs> and welcome... I'm Josie. Welcome, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, off to a smooth start as always. Um, so uh, basically just to kind of give a little bit of rundown of what this series is, uh, we have decided on nine uh, sort of classic films ranging from uh, from this film, which is Nosferatu, uh, up to uh, we have, I think we go all the way up to the 70s with house is our last one so basically house. basically we each picked three films uh to do a series of nine and we'll see uh if we like it and if the audience likes it maybe we'll do another series but first we got to get through this one uh so as i mentioned uh today we're talking nosferatu uh which here we'll do some credit business directed by fw uh, Murnau. This film debuted in 1922, although it didn't debut in the States until seven years later in 1929. Uh, so this film is, yeah, 98 years young, almost a century back. Uh, that's about, you know, films, films only a little bit older than 100 years. It's crazy to think how much it's evolved in that time. Uh, Danielle, this was uh, your your pick. I feel like I kind of uh, pushed you into it, but <laughs> I I got excited when you when you uh, when you named it. So yeah, that was I kind of like clung to that. Yeah, that was like the thing I mentioned <laughs> the first film when I was first pitching you this that you were like, ooh, that one. So uh, I'm glad that you stuck with this one because uh, I was having a really tough time eliminating <laughs> picks and this is one i really also yeah. wanted to see uh a silent film uh we watched uh the free version on amazon prime i think we all watched the same version is that correct you guys mm -hmm. watched the one i i said yeah. um yeah i think i can so the what's interesting about the version that we watched is that um contrary to what i've always heard he is in fact referred to as dracula throughout the film so yeah, this uh, this film was an unlicensed adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, and they were subsequently sued by Bram Stoker's widow over the rights to the film, and all of the original prints were uh, destroyed. And for some years, uh, the movie was thought to be lost, and then uh, prints were found and, and restored. Uh, so that we have it today, because it's like nukes. You just you tell people that you're going to destroy them all, but then there's always one that you keep aside, yeah. right? Yeah. 
And and there's been some effort about trying to retrieve the original subtitles. So there's like a bunch of different versions of the subtitles out there. I don't really know how accurate the one, the version that we watched is, but it does refer to everybody by their novelized names. Um, yeah, the film tried to get out of the lawsuit by changing the names. So Dracula became Count Orlock. Um Harding became Hutter, uh, and and yeah, they were all kind of changed from the names that we know. Uh, but the version that we saw gives them their names. So we see Van Helsing, we see John Harding, we see Count Dracula, uh, Nina. Like if you've seen other versions of Dracula, you'll recognize all of those names, if not necessarily sort of uh, the actions that happen in the film. Um, what are some of your guys just kind of initial thoughts, Danielle, I'd like to start with you since this was your pick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of gut reactions, things that maybe surprised you or didn't. Um, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I, um, I think I was, whenever I think of like early century, I guess, cinema i was like expecting to have see these like really long takes of like just like a whole all of this action and then like not really seeing as many like captions but i felt like it was a lot more carefully crafted and i was like why didn't you give it more credit than that danielle but um i i thoroughly enjoyed it um but i there were moments that of course um were comedic to me but it's of course this is probably the film that made those tropes that are funny now yeah. nowadays. Um, we can talk about like specific moments more, but I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. So nice, uh, Jose. What did what do you think? I'm gonna I'm gonna trail what um, what you said because um, I ended up enjoying it more than I thought I was gonna. I don't know what's gonna happen with Metropolis, but at least with this film, because you know, like we're used we're used to a modern narrative. So then this this felt. Uh, and I put it, I'm looking at my notes. If I get a little distracted a little bit, it's because I have my notes next to me. Um, this reminded me of a student film, actually. Mm -hmm. And then it's because, I mean, I, I teach filmmaking, I teach directing, and then you see, you see how people are not used to the language of filmmaking. And then they tend to go a, a lot of presidium view, like basically just putting a camera in a wide shot and then show everything as if you're looking at, at, a, at a theater performance. And then I know that in these times it's probably because they didn't have too many lenses to like photo, um, you know, like telephoto lenses and stuff like that. But it did feel that the, like that the way that the, that, that the story was told reminded me of a student film of the way the narration, narration and filmmaking happens when you are not, you know, like season on it. Yeah. And you and I, uh, for the viewers out there who don't know, uh, Jose and I went to film school together. That's where we met. Uh, and when we were there, I feel like we were one of the last classes to actually be able to shoot on film. And so our first films were on black and white, 16 millimeter reversal. Right. Uh, and you know, the, the, the quality of those films looks a lot like kind of this time. Uh, and I give some leeway to, uh, the, the look of the film because we're looking at like copies of copies of copies from the twenties. Right. So right. the original may have looked a lot better. Like I'm trying to, it's really tough looking at this film by modern standards, like you said, Jose, because we're so used to things being 
Like if they're not perfect, we, we give them a hard score, you know? Right. right. And by today's standards, this one has just a lot of things that are kind of technically off. Um, but the ones I was the most forgiving with are just kind of the look and the quality of the, the film itself. Cause I feel like these are probably, you know, not even the better prints that survived. This was like probably copies of copies right. of copies. So like the scene where right. he looks in the mirror at his throat and we can't see anything because the overexposure is just blown out. Like it's, yes. it's possible that in the original prints, you could see what the heck they were looking at. Uh, we don't know that for sure. That's been lost to posterity, but uh, that is a possibility. So I, I, I was trying to be kind of forgiving. Uh, yeah, Jose. Um, there is, there was a moment, there was a moment where I was, I was watching the film and it gave me a sensation that I've seen some of it before. I mean, clearly I've seen like peaks here and there, like a couple of things here and there, but then there was this like bossing on my hand. It's like, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. And it's because I saw that William Defoe film about the making of Nosferatu. Yeah. <laughs> And I go like, oh my god, this is this is why I'm having deja vu on this. What's that film but called? I've never seen that uh, film it's a line in the movie, actually. Shadow of the yeah, Vampire. Yeah, Shadow of the Vampire, which uh, is in one of the the text cards uh, near right. the end of the film. The Shadow, the right. Shadow of the Vampire. And it explores. It explores. It's an interesting film. I mean, I know we're talking about it, but it's an interesting film because it proposes it proposes the idea that they actually shot it with an actual vampire. They went and found, and then William Defoe plays. The Apparently, this was an urban legend that went around based on the film uh and that's what they they based shadow of the vampire on i mean that 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 guy's creepy that guy was really creepy what's that daniel i thought it was i thought it was interesting that they uh they talk about it at the beginning of the film and then again at the end where they like blame him for the plague that that came um and i was triggered a little bit um it's very timely for what's happening right now but uh uh, I, I mean, it makes sense as an urban legend, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, well, this is why this happened. You know, there's that, that, uh, the count, but I mean, of course he dies in the end. So it's, it's like early film, like, oh, there's the bad guy, but the bad guy dies. So don't be afraid yet, but hmm, it and, could happen again. And, and like, everybody kind of who was sick, who hadn't died yet comes back is like revived as soon as he dies. Uh, this, yeah. what's crazy is the number of like tropes that this film invented that became canon for Dracula. So when I was kind of doing some, some research afterwards, the idea that sunlight kills him comes directly from this film, not from the book. Mm, uh, really? Yes. And so I think so does that concept that like when you kill the head vampire, everybody else is fine. Like I'm not entirely sure that that's in the book either, but this is, I think the fourth, Unless I feel like I'm missing something, but I feel like this is the fourth adaptation of Dracula that I've seen. So I've seen Bram Stoker's Dracula, the the, the Coppola one. Um, I've seen the Bela Lugosi Dracula from I think the 40s, uh, and then I've seen Dracula Dead and Loving It, and then yes. and then this film, uh, which you know, and they're all wildly different film so it may really makes me wonder about the book like maybe i'll get around to reading the book sometime just to kind of see what the heck it does because they've all got such sort of broadly different interpretations of the material 
I mean, you have to see, there is one, there is one, I can't remember the name. I think it's Dracula 2000 or something like that, but they, but they, they proposed the idea that Dracula is actually Judas that betrayed Jesus. And then it, it ties it with like silver being, being like uh, allergic to silver and stuff like that. And I don't know, like it was, it was a, a, the cleverest twist that I've ever seen of a Dracula. Yeah. I remember when that came out, but I did not get around to it. It's not a yeah. good movie. And, it was just a nasty. Yeah, it, it was just. It, <laughs> and obviously, a lot of regular vampire films borrow heavily from the Dracula right. story. I, I felt like and this is like more uh, recent, but I appreciated um, a lot of the nods to Nosferatu in uh, what we do in the shadows. Like what we do in the, the the main va- vampire Peter. Yeah, the old clearly. the old Peter uh, is definitely Nosferatu. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then like when I forget the name, the main vampire. Uh, when he he's like, oh, this is the the love of my life gave me this silver chain. Oh, and he like puts it on. He's like, oh, yep, yeah, no, out, out, out. This is as long as I can keep it. Uh, you know, they just like play on the little the tropes that have been uh, created over the years. It's yeah, and, and a fair a number of, of them of come right out of this film. Uh, right. Let's uh, can we talk about the soundtrack? So. Uh, there's music over this, and when I was doing a little bit of research, the music that is attached to because while I was watching it, uh, I was, you know, I, I found it a little frustrating just because it's like the music never attempts to match the scene. It's just like one, it's just like one tempo for the entire film. Uh, but this track is based on music that was written for to be performed with the film, uh, which I didn't know was a thing like that was something i learned researching it that they actually had a composer who wrote music for the film to be played alongside it and and this is based on kind of what remains of that score so it's not the full score but it's like all that's that's left of it and they've just kind of like stretched it out uh how did you guys feel about the music accompaniment uh did you guys have kind of any any thoughts about that i felt i felt like that's what hooked me early on it kind of set the mood i watched it at night and um but there were moments where you know there was like a transition and it got silent and i like leaned forward a little bit because i was expecting that to like be reflected like something bigger was going to happen and nothing more like i guess like big plot points didn't follow that sort of thing but um but i i i felt like it it fit it seemed like it was um either chosen specifically because of the mood that it gave or composed for it. But I didn't, I wasn't sure if, if it was or not. Yeah. Jose. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like you, I feel that the music didn't match. I was wondering also because like, you know, as you said, like the original copies were lost. I was, I was wondering if this was just a placeholder that somebody put in there, uh, or wasn't accurate to it. But, but, um, I mean, I, th- I think like Danielle, like it's, it's just, it doesn't feel that it follows what is happening on the screen and it misleads you because it's one of the things that we're not, we're, it's one of the things that we react on movies, but we're not aware that we react in music. Usually it lets you know what's going to happen before it happens, or it lets you know how to interpret a specific scene when it could go positive, negative, or neutral. And then the music is the one that's telling you, this is a bad moment. This is a good moment. So Nosferatu felt like this is always the same moment. Uh, and that yeah. felt a little, Although, yeah. Although I, I felt like at the beginning, um, 
the main characters were so happy-go-lucky and like, you know, we, we saw John and Nina and they were just so in love. And then, you know, we, you see all these moments where it doesn't seem like it's going to be a scary movie. And then I, it kind of reminded me like, this is a serious thing. Like, yeah, they're happy now, but it could have been like, it could have more specifically followed the scenes, but I, I didn't mind that it was there because I was confused at first. I was like, oh, everyone's happy. This is not just like a one note kind of like a uh, play where everyone is indicating uh, acting wise. And I mean, they were, but yeah. for sure. Uh, uh, actually, on that but. note, uh, talking about the acting and like early in the film, like I was kind of cracking up because uh, uh, John, our would be protagonist, I guess, um, gets so excited about the prospect of a client in Transyl <laughs> Transylvania. And Nina is like, so horrified. She's like, don't go. And he just like, doesn't give a crap. Right. I was like, yeah. wait, a like not even a little bit. No, way to not be in touch with your, with your wife. I think they're married in this version. Right. Uh, it's like, they were married, yeah, yeah. way to not be in touch with your wife and what she's thinking. He's just like, it's going to be great. <laughs> and she's like, don't do it. Um, I was also, yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I, I saw, I mean, I, I anticipated this because I saw some of your notes about it and I knew that you were going to comment. And so I made a note about it, uh, because Rainfield tells him like, this is a good chance. This is, he tells him the con is going to spend a lot of money and he's very loose with his money. So then he's excited only because he's going to make a fortune out of this. It's like, it's, you know, it's yeah, like, Hey, I'm going to Transylvania and coming back. And then it took me a moment to understand that they, I mean, gladly they, they stayed there because all the other iterations that I've seen of Dracula, he eventually comes to America or goes to England, but this is from Bremen to Transylvania. So this guy just, just traveled through land. I, I have no idea why, why Dracula en ended up traveling through both, but you know, because it wasn't that far away. Uh, in the novel, he goes to London. It all takes place in London. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So in this case, it's Bremen. Yeah. They. they, uh, they at least it's not Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, where? I, sorry. I'm trying to remember um, what the the train of thought I had. Was. Your name is John Olson. My name is John Olson. Yes. Uh, remember all the things. <laughs> so. Uh, um, but yeah, it's and obviously the acting is very big. Like Renfield is like immediately like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? Um, oh, Renfield, yes, right. Something you know, that I thought. Oh, sorry. Something no, that no, I thought no, was sorry. interesting. Go ahead. <laughs> we um, keep interrupting each other. With <laughs> like, go bad, ahead. I think there's a delay. But anyway, you go ahead, and then I'll say. Okay. Okay. Um, something that this made me think of is like the need for actors to indicate versus like, you know, when sound became a thing there, like that need immediately went away, but like, obviously that did not stop. So I appreciated it more because everyone could stay on the same page. Everyone could tell like, oh, this person's definitely angry or this person's definitely excited. Like there was no confusion in that. Um, so it made me understand why people do it more now, um, I guess. Uh, but it is something that should die now that we can hear people give lines. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know yeah, if you, anyway. I don't know, Danielle, I'm not sure if you've ever done like a silent film project where 
you know you're not going to have sound. But actors are, as soon as you say that there's no dialogue, actors act differently. And I feel like people just act differently. And like, I've done scenes where uh, it's supposed to be silent and we're not recording sound, but it's like there, there are people talking and everybody's pantomiming. They're all being silent. And it's like, you don't, you don't have to be silent. The film just will be, <laughs> um, <Right>. but like <laughs> people automatically kind of uh, take on these different um, just ways of acting when they know that there's, there's no sound being recorded. It's very, it's kind of just like an, especially interesting in a commercial. Yeah. Especially in a, in a more commercial film that they, I don't know if they had planned it to like, show around the world i feel like um like in hollywood at least they want it to be super clear cut and we don't want people to be like interpreting it different ways um but but yeah no you're right uh people do they don't you don't need to act overact indicate yeah indicate. and this is also early on camera like i think you guys both kind of mentioned about the stage uh so it's it's kind of it's easy to forgive the film some of its its verboseness in in the acting because it's a new medium like you know people don't even kind of know how to watch films yet let alone make them uh yeah right. so uh, it's it is something that you have to be very forgiving about um in sort of comparison to other iterations of dracula i was shocked at how much time of the plot is spent just like going to Transylvania and like courting Count Dracula to come to come back. Like so like very little of the film seems to actually take place back in in the city in Bremen, whereas in other versions of the film that I've seen, all of the action takes place in London. And like this is just the right. beginning. But this this movie focuses almost entirely uh, on the beginning. And I, I felt that that was, uh, kind of strange, just like how long this, the setup, the, how much time they spent on the setup and like Nina's whole thing about dreaming, uh, while he was away and thinking that he's dead. Uh, I, do you guys have thoughts on kind of the, the narrative structure here or just like um. that? Yeah. Either, <laughs> uh, Jose. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, let me see. Let me let me let me gather my thoughts on this. Because yeah, I mean, it feels it feels a little it feels a little uh, like it jumps it jumps back and forth and it goes a lot to Transylvania. But I think I think it was also because they wanted to show like that's that was the that was the alien part for people who are watching the movie. You know, it's like I, if I live in Germany, if I live, if I'm watching this film, like I know what a city looks like and I, I want to see some, some, something else. Um, the thing that it, that it strike me a lot is that, and I guess that it was because of, of, of the technology that they could use to, to shoot this is that there was a, there were a lot of scenes that clearly were, were in the, in, in, in the bright daylight. And then, and then through the dialogue, you go like, Oh, it's almost midnight. And you go like, it doesn't look like midnight, but it's probably because you can't shoot at night that well. The only the only like places the where you right it looks at the middle of the day and the only way that and i feel that the only way that they could portray night is when they were clearly inside a studio and then they had a background that that was that was like less lit because you can't have at that time you couldn't have lights in the outside 
So then they would have to just shoot it during the day and then just tell everybody through text boxes, you know, like, oh, it's almost midnight when he gets to the castle. And I go like, how? It's like, it looks like day. And then you, you see like Dracula coming out and receiving him. And you go like, why are you not just bursting into flames? And I go like, no, because it's almost midnight, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and, <laughs> I don't and know. Also, uh, there's the, there's a very likely possibility that the earth, that the the master prints that were distributed were actually colored that they would have hand colored yeah, the films so that like those white screens would have been dyed like a dark blue and then it would have right. provided a context through color right that's what i was wondering um just because i know that um usually they would color code it yeah like you said yeah uh like if you guys have seen um hugo they, they talk about, uh, it's about George Millier and uh, who directed Trip to the Moon. And they actually talk about in that mm -hmm. film how they colored a lot of the shorts by hand. And it's crazy because you're just like going with an eyedropper and dye and like coloring them frame by frame. By frame. You know, and at the time it was probably like 18 frames a, a second. And it wasn't even like the whole frame. It was like individual people's clothes. Yeah, cells. Like, just mm -hmm. like, yeah. And then like, and you're talking about like 8 or 16 millimeter film. Like they didn't even have mm -hmm. 32 millimeter back in the day. You know, so they're just like these teeny tiny things that you're like having to probably, you know, wear like a you know, like a scope on your eye just to, to see what you're doing. It's like the dedication is pretty incredible when you think about yeah. that. I wonder, I wonder though, when, when, when you were talking about like they shooting a lot of Transylvania, there's a lot of like white shots of like the mountains or the forest. And I wonder if that's, if they actually travel somewhere or they just choose mountains and forests that were close to whatever they were shooting and then like make the pass as it is. Cause you know, like there is interpretation of doing films right now where, where there is already a structure and a narrative that has been evolved for over a hundred years. So eventually you know that you can trick audiences. You go like, oh, this mountains is in like Fiji and then nobody can say no because you can't, you can't see anything else. But back then, what would be the interpretation? Like, would they think like we need to go to Transylvania, we need to go to Romania to get those, some white shots, or we can just make the Black Forest look like if the forest over there and nobody's going to notice? Yeah, I think you just find the best mountains you can, uh, because at the time people would have been even more ignorant about location. Right. So I think you could kind of get away with even more. Uh, I, I do think that the like the the landscape photography is some of the better. Uh, footage in the film uh, along okay. with uh, the Van Helsing sequence where he's teaching his students and we get the like the, the kind of nature doc foot b-roll right. uh, I thought that was some of the coolest footage in the film um, yeah the yeah go ahead I think I think and this is something that impressed me like because I mean, and I guess it's because of the print, but the inserts were very well done. You know, like every time that somebody picked a letter, then it was like the shot of the letter. And then, and then when, when, when Van Helsing was showing about like the, the carnivores plant, and then they got a freaking shot of a fly. I mean, that's not a, a visual effect. They probably just sit there with one of these plants and then put a bunch of flies until one got caught up and then they got their instant. They were like, oh yeah, finally, finally something happened and we got the plant. You can't plant these things. Yeah. But they were very well shot and very well used. Like, like, like screen direction, like all this, like I, 
and again, I'm coming from the perspective of thinking of it as a student film, like thinking of it as, as somebody a, a, like exploring narrative that hasn't been established already as, as a science, you know, as, as filmmaking is right now. So then mm -hmm. I was very impressed about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, there, there was a lot of like visuals, like symbology um, with like the Venus flytrap plant mm -hmm. um but also like when they had the i mean they get they kind of go out and like state it what the, the reason for it but when we see the fox and the the horses running away and then they're like oh sometimes uh animals sense danger that men don't and it's it's i mean yeah again it goes with the whole like i one of my favorite we this is where this yeah one of my yeah. favorite parts is when he's in the bar and he's like oh i'm gonna go to dracula's and we get the reaction shots of everybody <laughs> like the bartender has yeah. like my favorite moment in the whole film where he's just like you know he just does this sudden <laughs> look up for our audio listeners uh, he does this sudden look up and everybody's yeah. just like dun 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 you know you can almost hear it you're uh, going down that like oh He's just so ignorant of it too. Like he, John Harding is such a funny character in this film because he just seems like so kind of oblivious at times to to the danger. I guess yeah, maybe there's a message in there about about greed <laughs> or something to that effect. Well, but you know, you know what, and that that plays that plays into what we were talking earlier about the exaggeration of these actors. With the, I mean, we have to remember also that these these people probably were theater actors that were hired to do movies. Sure. So then, so then they will exaggerate the emotions. Everything was presidium view, as we were ta we were talking before. So then, in without a language, without a, a common language of narrative in filmmaking, then of course you're gonna get actors that go like, oh my god, oh, because that's what people people are not used to subtlety. So they. They needed mm -hmm. this huge reaction and I, I like it how they they used to have the wide shots and eventually they would just cut to a closer shot of a fraction of a section of that shot and then go back to the main shot and go yeah. to another closer and then they keep they keep doing that just so you can see the reactions of yeah. people the mimicking you know like the, the the kind of like oh my god this happened oh I'm 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 fainting and you know it's all this exaggeration um there's one more thing I wanted to say about these, but I don't want to monopolize. On that note, uh, I felt like the the biggest, the most egregious kind of mistakes throughout this film are the jump cuts, like on a technical level. Yeah. There's a lot of jump cuts, like they don't cut on action properly. They're like delayed cuts, uh, or there is like the, the, the jump in frames that you get. Uh, but I was shocked at, like, on a, on a positive note, I was shocked at the use of the Kuleshov effect. And this is probably before mm. that term was like even known. Uh, for our listeners who might not know, the Kuleshov effect uh, basically is a theory that states that when you put two images next to each other, uh, our brain automatically associates those two images together. So this is like why you have cut, reverse cut, or you can use things, like, because they use it heavily when Nina is having her dreams and then we cut to like Orlock or Dracula haunting uh, Harding. And like, we can tell automatically that she's dreaming about that. Like this is the Kuleshov effect in full effect. Uh, and I was really impressed at the, the level to which that is used in the film. It feels very advanced for something from 1922. Whereas like there are sort of these technical errors. There's also like theory and practice in this film that I think was really impressive. 
should we should we talk about uh, some of the more maybe controversial elements of the film in uh, Count Dracula himself? <laughs> so yeah. this film is a German-made <laughs> film, and the film has uh, it's been debated really, but the film has been largely accused of uh, him being a sort of anti-Semitic depiction of an outsider, you know, like um, this outsider coming in, bringing plague, you know, like mm. it's, it, it had, it's been accused rather heavily because even in the 1920s, uh, the Jewish population was being, was experienced this sort of uh, persecution and stereotyping. Um, uh, we, I, I feel like we, uh, before we started rolling, Danielle, you had some thoughts on this. Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's because I'm so far removed from, you know, we're in, I'm in Maryland and it's 2020. Um, but I, I didn't notice it at first until I read it. And I, when I read it, I was like, oh no, that's 100% probably what happened. It's not an accident. Um, I was, I'm taking a history of animation class and we're talking about how, especially in like in the early 1920s, there's so much like racist caricatures of different types of people in all media. And it's, um, it's just really easy to play on people's fears of like, of whatever hate is popular in that time period, I guess, um, to, to make it scary, to make it relatable. And it's not okay at all. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, so I don't doubt that there was some thought put into that. Um, uh, I kind of I felt know. like there, there is an argument that it was less intentional because mm -hmm. um, the, the director was actually homosexual. Um, and, uh, you know, there are historians that believe that like, and, and also there, there were Jewish people who worked on the, the film and like, so there's, there's kind of this thought that it was a societal influence. And right. when I read that, it reminded me of like the nineties, like we still love friends and it's full of homophobic jokes and humor. And yeah. like, you know, there is just kind of this casual, way that society propels these stereotypes that even if you are an affected party, you can still, you can still fall into that. Right. You right. know, just because it is so pervasive. So I, I feel like on some level, like, yes, this, this movie is, uh, is, is promoting stereotypes that are, are not cool. Uh, and it is a lot of fear mm -hmm. of the other. And like, he's got the big, prosthetic nose uh, that seems very obvious in retrospect, but I kind of feel like it wasn't uh, done viciously, but that it was done right. because of societal norms. And like, you know, if given some time, you know, and having it had point out to them that the filmmakers might've regretted some of those decisions. That's kind of my thought, you know, there's no, I get that. There's no consensus on that because it is a hundred years old. Uh, right. But it is yeah. really easy to, to, to absorb that and to, to put that in, um, in your art when, as you make it. So that, that does make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Um, 
I, I don't like I you, my, you know me, John. I mean, I have to I have to be a little of a devil's advocate here on on this sense. And and uh, I mean, and I think that you you do touch on do touch on some of what I what I want to say. Um, if you look if you look at Nazi posters that were depicting mm. the Jews, then yes, you you do see a resemblance between how the Jews were depicted in these posters to to what this to what the Nosferatu contractor was depicting. Now, be, that being intentional is what I'm what I'm citing with you. I don't think that that was intentional. I think that I was a part of zeitgeist. You know, like it's like a person might be just doing something without without the notion that they're doing something, perpetuating a stereotype. But in no in no moment in the movie, his appearance is tied to to anything else. I mean, you will have you will have to look at this movie, then see a poster of a Nazi propaganda, and then and then you will make the association. Otherwise, mm. if it's not a coordinated event, if it's not like a, like people going and saying, "Oh, you do this," and then portray this character that people are going to fear, and then I'm going to use this depiction to make po anti-Semitic posters. If there is no correlation between, if there is no agreement before that, then it's just then it might be that the Nazis just came and said let's draw them as this guy did Dracula because already people are in the side guys that this is something to fear. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I think that a little, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like that view pushes it a little far because if you think about why there was anti-Semitism and what the rhetoric was, it was like about outsiders coming in and, and causing problems within our society. Right. Right. So like the messaging is a xenophobic message and this is a horror movie that is trying to get an outsider to be the thing that scares you right so while i don't think it was necessarily uh super intentional it's like they were playing on popular fears at the time you know right and so it's like you said with the zeitgeist i do think that is a, a that is a powerful element and i think that like when people kind of rail against like social justice warriors or like wokeness like the the point of wokeness is to point out that like this is an, an offensive stereotype right like when we had all the the gay jokes in the 90s in like every single sitcom that came out it's like nobody was thinking about it as being offensive but there was a whole group of people who were just like literally being kind of like pushed into the ground by this uh, and so I do think it's like important to have these things kind of pointed out because you can perpetrate these things without realizing it. And, you know, that's, that's fair. my, that's that's my soapbox on that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's like, it's to bring awareness to it without, without like, it's like, like debating it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't negate it. Right. 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 I feel that that's that's important because if you think about it, Rainfield was also very weird looking, like almost monster looking. Yeah. But he's not. A, but yeah. We're not talking about him being a depiction of anything else because we there is no association that we can know right now of what he was representing. So then we're right. just going to this one because because of the country and because of the times. And then again, it doesn't negate it, but it's like we fixate on the ones that we can recognize, and then we don't explore the ones that we cannot recognize. But it'd be a pretty easy parallel to draw that like Renfield is being influenced by. Count Dracula, the outsider, and has gone crazy right. and has turned into That's a true. maniac, right? So, like, they're, yeah. they're very easy parallels to draw uh, when you look at this film. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's 
it's something to learn from, <laughs> right? We can take it as a learning as a learning moment. Uh, Renfield was. Uh, I would kind of like to transition or just talk about Renfield for a minute because I, I found myself wondering why so much of the movie focuses on him, like, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Yeah, you sound like you have Renfield, a thought. He's like the. He he's like the henchman, right? Yeah. Like the the yeah. As, it, immediately when you see him, you're like, oh, I wonder if he's one of the bad guys, like because they they make him so just like a maniac. Um, I think that it took me a second to really realize who he was in relation to to Count Dracula, um, but it reminded me of. I think his purpose plays on the fact that he is being controlled oh, oh okay a little bit of two things like um count dracula is controlling others to do his bidding but there's other evil in the world that perpetuates it um so that's kind of like what it reminded me of thematically but he is you know he he was put into like an asylum or a prison of some sort asylum. and I, I was wondering like why do we keep going back to him until like at the end when he spoiler spoiler alert i don't know if that matters um when count dracula dies he's like oh no master like yeah. he just knows it's like this like feeling that he has i was almost expecting him to die too but yeah I uh, yeah it's, it does seem like his whole purpose is to announce that that dracula is dead at the end like right. when you get that scene it's yeah. like okay like, i guess that's why but like he has this were. whole yeah. escape that the town gathers like as a mob to go after him Right, uh, and like we spend a lot of shots on this, and then the the scene where they catch him. Also, I was very thrown off. I thought he died. I thought like like first that right. We see this like yeah. weird scarecrow looking was... thing, and it looks like they just tear it to shreds. I was like, did they just yeah. like Lynch Renfield? Like uh, <laughs> I didn't know what happened, and then we see him in in the asylum. And I was like, oh, I I guess they just carted him back but it, it looked it looked really violent there oh is, 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 is that how that read to you because i never like i i remember i was a little thrown aback by by clearly there was like a shadow figure on a hill right. and then they shredded yeah. to pieces but i never connected that with them catching rainfield but that's what's happening well, i actually it's very understand. confusing though i would yeah. say it's the most that's the th disorienting part of the film when I first saw him, that image of, I guess, the scarecrow, like, off in the distance, my immediate thought was like, oh, he got away. Like, he's off in the distance. But then they just, they went and ripped him to shreds. But but at the same time, I didn't think that that was actually him. So I was like, oh, did he get right. away? And then, yeah, to see, to see him, like, in captivity afterwards was interesting. Yeah. But it made me, like, at the end, I realized, like, you see this in a lot of other vampire movies that... Um, that implicate um or that yeah implicate uh the vampires having their own like servants um that's who this was like he was trying to get john to go to dracula and i mean i don't know if like part of me felt like he was like trying to send him so that he could feed or he'd have someone because the locals like knew better than to go in um but at the same time he was probably trying to use him to transfer him to a place where he could feed on more people. So it I did question how much agency he had like in in general like as like if he was being mind controlled or something but he also just seemed like yeah. cuz that's like also he was into it the whole time. The the movie. Like we don't really know if he's cured of his madness or not. 
Uh, Right. Especially with that. Oh, we can talk about this in a second, but especially with that whole like, oh, the only thing that will cure this, this madness is if a pure hearted woman will like basically sleep with him at the end. And I was like, wow. We'll just like sacrifice yourself to him. Yeah. You know, there there are a couple of things you've touched on a couple of things. I'll try to be brief about these. But one no, of them, no, no, no. one of them is that uh, first, when they're when they're chasing Rainfield, freaking Rainfield is like is like super agile. Like that guy was just jumping <laughs> on things. Like you see, like he looks like an old guy, and then suddenly he's just like doing standards, and then just like gr- like I don't know, like Very he's animated. doing like crazy acrobatic acrobatic things, and you go like, oh, he is a familiar. The thing is that we don't mm-hmm. have a back Definitely. we don't have a backstory for him. Like the moment that we see him for the first time is when he's with Jonathan and he's so excited about sending Jonathan to to Transylvania. And by that point, he's already been controlled by Dracula. Like so, at some point, you kind of like start thinking like the only way that I can tie this is that he he went to Transylvania, he got beaten or something, or he became a familiar, and then and then and then Dracula sent him back to Bremen and said, Okay, now you're gonna now you're gonna be my pimp. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> ask you to just like find people to send to me. And then that's what Rainfield does. The thing that I don't understand is that everybody as as you as we were saying at the beginning, like Dracula dies and everybody just suddenly gets better. But Rainfield like he is sad that the master died and he sets it like the moment that, that the master dies, Renfield should be like waking from a dream and being like, oh, fuck, finally, I am. Can we say fuck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess. I, 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 give it, I give it, I'll give it the explicit tag. Beep, beep. <laughs> but I don't know. It feels it feels like he was very agile. And then it feels like he was a familiar that we had to understand that his backstory was never told. Yeah. Right. This film does. I was also. Good. Oh, sorry. I realized that this came before a lot of probably the tropes that I'm thinking of, but part of me was wondering if he was, had some sort of power or was some sort of like, because he was probably bitten. I, I, this is all assumption. I assume that he was bitten. And so part of me was like, is he also a vampire? But then Jonathan was bitten and he was fine. Yeah. Or was stricken ill. ill. When, when Dracula bites people, they don't seem to turn. He just, is yeah. eating right. him, right? Which, but he does uh, but have, they also... like, they do refer to him having servants at his castle. There's, like, the weird coach driver. So he has, mm-hmm. his powers are super unexplained. He can, like, go through walls sometimes. He's super strong sometimes. Mm-hmm. He has telekinesis sometimes. Yeah. Uh, he can, like, control people, even if he hasn't bitten them, more so at night. Well, I guess that's the telekinesis. Part. Yeah. Uh, I you remind me of something that I found like the the, the funniest part to me in this film yeah. is when they well, after the boat arrives and then they look through the manifesto and then figure out oh, nobody's alive and so on. and then when everybody clears the suddenly it's like freaking Count Dracula just grabbing his his coffin and then just walking away from the thing <laughs> he's so strong in that scene I was like man but it felt so, so funny easily. this guy just doing <laughs> just like he's just grabbing the shit and just walking around and finding where he needs to stay but kind of like not like kind of like looking to not be seen and i go like why are you like aren't you just a ca- like you don't you have servants to do this for you like, he's just carrying his coughing it's like this little bit this is my bed and my land because he needs to sleep yeah. in that i in, like that it land. has the soil in it that was like a different yeah. take on it mm-hmm. um and the rats, yeah, the, the rats. The rats have been a recurring image yeah. of of a vampire. When you open a, cof- a vampire's coffin, then suddenly it's like yeah. vermin. It's not right. It's vermin, yeah, and it has to do it's with the like plague. It's a uh, well, a <laughs> thing I found kind of 
very jarring and just odd structurally about this film is that it doesn't seem to have a protagonist. Like it's got a, it's got a lot of distance from the narrative, especially once uh, Dracula gets onto the boat. Right. Cause it's like, we follow the captain for a little while. We peek in on Nina. Like we have one and only one scene with Van Helsing who comes in halfway into the movie. And I was right. like, Oh, okay. Here's the guy who's going to solve the case. And then we never see him again. And like, he just kind of demonstrates to us that there are vampiric things in nature. And like, that was kind of interesting, but mm. he's the one who like solves the case in pretty much every other version of this. Right. So it was very strange that like Van Helsing came in and like, we, we spent a bunch of time with Renfield and his break from the asylum and just like these, these shots of like coffins coming down the street and it's there's no like hero in this story right it's kind of nina so i want to bring it back to what you were saying about nina um it's kind of nina like she she does what she's not supposed to the husband's like don't read you know how dare you read <laughs> and, and she reads the, the passage anyway uh and learns that yeah. that she has to give over herself to to orlock uh, or I keep not knowing what to call him. So there's there's a couple of things that I wanted to mention, and I think that you you touch upon them a little bit. But I wanted I, I wanted to mention like like the specifics of it because you you mentioned when when Jonathan was at the bar uh, at the at the at the inn, and then he's like uh, and he mentions Count Dracula, yeah. right? And then this is again going back to the fact that 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 information keeps being given in this film at some points as. As as have witnesses in student films, you know there is no reason for this man to say aloud, "Oh, I am I should be eating right now because by now I should already be in, in Count Dracula's castle." It's like there is no reason for this character to walk into a place and announce where he's going aloud, except for the fact that the plot needs it. Right, and then they give him the, so, vamp, the book on the vampire, and then they give him the vampire the vampire. So so there is information that is being forced because there is they, they couldn't find any other way to do it. Like there is a, there is yeah. this text box that says um that talks about the powers of the mama oh he brings soil from the ground because that's the only no the textbook says through studies yeah, i have I figured have... out that i have figured out and then you don't know who i is I you don't know what like story it must is. be van helsing but the fact that he it, never it, comes back into the narrative doesn't really support that so it's like, it's just like yeah. they're showing you something and then at the same time they're giving you a textbook to explain what is happening because they couldn't find a way to show it to you. And I witnessed that constantly when a person that doesn't understand visual narrative can find a way. So then you have the text message or the famous call where a person is narrating their entire relationship with another person because you you don't you know how to, get to show it on the screen. Somehow, right? yeah. Exactly. And I mean, it's and a problem I... that every filmmaker has to deal with is like, how do I handle exposition? Uh, what was that, Danielle? I felt like there was a lot of that in his letter back to Nina. Uh, like, as he wrote, like, oh, yeah, this is what my night was like. Oh, but don't worry about me, even though I'm talking about having two large possible spider bites on my neck. Or, like, I had these terrible dreams. Oh, but don't worry about me. I'm totally fine. Like, uh, it just, it, it seemed very expositional, very plot, for for the plot. Um, but also, they play, they, they, almost kind of play it off by by making him this happy-go-lucky character that just that's right. just how he is well he but, gets back yeah, to no, he gets back to bremming basically 
like right after Count Dracula does. And then in no way does he try to, to warn anybody or stop Count Dracula. I was just very uh, kind of thrown off by the lack of a protagonist. And even in the final scenes, when Count Dracula finally comes to Nina, and we know she's already read the book, uh, was it just me or did she not look particularly willing? <laughs> you know, well, she looks terrified because read- it says a willing woman pure oh, heart yeah no like has to has to offer herself and hang up but she looks like she's just a victim she looks just like she's yeah, terrified yeah. and isn't like expressing me, agency yeah right part of me i question that too because i was wondering if they meant her to not seem willing because at the end i mean i assume that throughout the whole movie if he, if he was in sunlight he would have died but I was assuming that, like, if he did, like, you know, feed on her, stay with her the night, he would, like, I assume, this is this might be a wrong assumption, that he might become more human. He might be, like, free of whatever curses on him. But no, he died. Yeah. So part of me was, like, wondering if they did that on purpose. But also, uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it did play a lot on um, her just being... Uh, I don't want to say that she was just a pretty face, but a plot device, but like a bit of a sexy lamp, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, the other, the other thing is that you get all this information again, going back on the fact that information is being thrown without, without showing you how they get to that. I mean, they have a book about vampires. Like where does this book come from? Who studied vampires (laughs) at some point and then figured out that a willing woman should just like all this stuff is just, it's just like suddenly comes. It's like, Hey, this is what's happening. This is a thing. Don't worry about where this comes from. Just follow the thing. And also like for, if this comes from 1443 and we're in 1860, something you're gonna tell me that in 400 years no single woman have ever been that in love with a person that is in danger that would have done what vanina said like to me a vampire wouldn't even live 50 years if this is the way to kill it like think about it so 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 her being willing to be fed on would have saved the victim not not um no 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 what i'm saying what i'm saying what what i'm saying is that it kills a vampire okay okay yeah, it kills I, a vampire. See, I was not. I was. I. I, oh, okay. I think I was a little bit more optimistic in my. Uh, no, like <laughs> assumption. I, the of what way I would that I, do. the way that I understood it is that if when when a willing woman of good heart gives herself as food for him, he loses track of time, and then he finds himself the at dawn, and then he's like, "Oh fuck, he's done," and then he dies. But yeah, I was because, very confused okay. if any sunlight could okay, kill that him. Makes sense. Or if only sunlight after this particular scenario could kill him. I was very kind of confused on that. Uh, That's not explained. Right. And I think part of the confusion actually comes down to uh, some of the historical context behind this film. So Mm -hmm. while they were shooting, um, they, they lost part of the original script. And the director rewrote the last eight pages of the script during production. Like they... For whatever reason, like he was following very closely the director's script, and apparently the director had even like offered essentially storyboards and like was very specific about how he wanted things. And the director was like following this um, in a very kind of different workflow than we're used to nowadays with filmmaking, where that 
those things are the director's job, not the writer's job. But they were following a script that was very much the writer's script. And some, some, something happened uh, where they lost the, la the end of the script. And the director rewrote the last like eight pages of the script and added this this bit with the sunlight. And so it it may have been entirely different in the way that it played mm -hmm. out, uh, which is mm -hmm. like kind of mind boggling <laughs> to, to think about that. <laughs> that like part of it was rewritten on the fly and just like completely changed the ending of the film, like from whatever it was originally intended. So, I, you know, you hear stories about like these kind of accidents that wind up affecting film and like in this case, affecting film history, you know, because yeah. the ending of the film is something that's like that shot of him disappearing in the sunlight's very famous and it went on to influence every vampire film that ever came after that sunlight kills the vampire. And that was originally not mm. how he died in the script. Apparently that's what. Uh, that's oh. what I read according to Wikipedia. Anyway, do you know how he did in this? Did die in the script? Um, so it's not how he dies in the novel, right? Uh, right. He dies in the novel, uh, I think, with a stake to the like they corner mm -hmm. him in his chapel, and so I think that the original script may have been more faithful to the novel, uh, mm -hmm. and and they just wound up changing. But it's been lost. Like we don't really know. Yeah how the original script went because it's been lost to time. So something that I noticed is you, we don't see a ton of like physical violence in this. I feel like there's one moment I wrote 54 minutes in where um, I keep forgetting his name, the henchman guy, creepy guy, when he's like in yeah. the asylum and he like bites someone's neck. Like that was like, the most violent thing we see and it seemed to be like this like climatic point it happens and then it fades to black and then something else is happening um so i don't know if like i mean it sounds like you know he lost the pages of the script so he redid it because of that but part of me is like wondering if they also wanted to censor it and not have too many scenes like that i don't know it's possible um, that's a speculation because yeah most of the um, violence is implied we get the shadow work with like the hands over you know the body which mm -hmm. i love the shadow the shots that you so, yeah so good yeah uh yeah that's that's one of the the images i remember the most from like just seeing it in like in film school when they're like the hands yeah. the creepy hands yeah the up the, the stairs her heart yeah the, the grabbing the heart shot yeah. is so good you know uh, and that's why i felt like it didn't look like she was very willing because he like you know they have all those shots right. where she looks terrified and then he like clenches her heart and I was like, yeah, and even like leading up to that. Okay, okay, okay. I was laughing when she was looking out the window, and she was. I guess she kind of looked creeped out, but she wasn't like calling him over. But then we see him from his window, and he's just like, like standing there, like, "Are you looking at me? Me? Like that's that's almost how I took it." And he was like, "Oh my god, am I gonna?" It just like to me, it, it perpetuates this like idea of like being owed. Uh, like effect, affection from women, and it yeah. made me really mad. Just on but, sight, um, but it was, yeah, like he, but like also maybe he was the way he was because for four hundred years he never got attention from anyone, or I don't know. That's what it implied. That's what it reminded me of. He's was immediately attracted to Nina via the photograph. Yeah, 
And like he feeds mm. on apparently hundreds of townspeople while he's there. It's hard to it's hard to tell, but there's like a right. parade of caskets. And I was like, is Nina the only pretty girl in Bremen? Like, <laughs> like why is he I mean, infatuated again. with her? I, I'm not entirely sure. But we don't see a whole I mean, lot of other females aside from maybe like old ladies kind of in the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I'm saying. Like, you're gonna tell me that in 400 years this has never happened to this vampire before? Like, that's just weird. Like, it's just like I don't know. Like, it just it, it fits it fits the narrative for the purpose of the narrative. But but I can't believe that in 400 years of his existing, no woman have ever like done that. You know what I mean? Like, and kill him that way. Well, maybe just, they didn't. It have also that might book. be like how he sees it. Oh yeah. yeah. But yeah, you, have you a, know you one thing. One thing that I wanted to mention that I found that like it's 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 creepy, especially because of the times, as Danielle was mentioning at the beginning, is like when the plague starts coming and then they don't know that it's Dracula, and then and then there's this text box that says that the towns the the, the there's a name that they it's not the governor of the town, it's not but the town something. Like the the guys that gather in the town and then decide they go like do not bring your sick people to the hospital. <laughs> Yeah, they, they go to the quarantine message because it's like stay Before indoors. Beating. Like, don't go yeah. out. I was like, oh, wow. Hmm. What it's, an idea. A hundred years mm-hmm. later, this film feels awfully topical and like timely mm-hmm. for, you know. No, but the thing, the, 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 the thing that I, the, yeah, don't the go to the hospital. strike me. It's like, yeah. Yeah, don't get other people sick. Just stay in your house, die, and then you eventually will burn the body, and then that's it. It's just that's how they deal with play. I mean, I don't blame them, but, it's just, but that's how they deal with it. Like you get a postage and go, like you can't leave your house. Period. You're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the plague. Uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, this film is a trip to watch. Kind of going back, uh, there are a lot of kind of com- unintentionally comedic moments, like when Harding first gets attacked by. Dracula, he literally just hides under his bed sheet. He like crawls into bed and he puts the blanket up over him. I was like, really? That's that's what you're gonna do. Also, you don't want to like leave. Yeah. Also, why do none of the doors in Dracula's castle have handles? I felt like that was kind of an oversight by the props department. He literally has to like grab the edge of the door to open it in one scene. (laughs) I was like, he uses he he opens the doors with the force. All the time. Yeah. Well, that's how, that's how Dracula does it. He just kind of uses his <laughs> magical powers to do things. Maybe that's, maybe it's to make it harder for his victims to escape. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. that does make sense. You know, when you put it that way, good, good on the <laughs> When you put it, when you put it that way, you know, one thing that I did notice, it's like, of course, I mean, all the cliches, all the cliches and, and, and things that we know about, about vampires cannot be touching one single movie in this case, but there was no religious iconography. Like there was no, That's like, true. oh, let's fight, let's fight uh-huh. him with God or like nobody, nobody prayed, nobody like went to like anything. There was only one scene and I put a note here. I just can't remember why I put this note here, but it says, uh, my note says, what were all this, these crosses in the beach? Apparently, it's a shot. I, I don't know if you remember yeah, the shot. Yeah, yeah, with I honestly Nina cannot remember. on the beach, right? Nina's, yeah, on the beach. I think and it's then just all the these crosses, crosses, you know, that, that the bodies have been piling up or something. Maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe, uh, it's a cool shot, though. But that is just mm-hmm. about, you're right, though. That's about the only religious 
iconography that we get in the film. Right. And then you have evil, you have Grisha, a, a, a heavily Roman Catholic country, and then you're going to tell me that nobody's going to bring Jesus into this? Which is something that is so prominent <laughs> in later vampire films. Right. There's always the cross. Like, you know, the power of Christ compels you. That's, I guess, exorcist. Yeah. But it's still that it idea that, like, you. you know, you use use Jesus to, to get rid of evil. Uh, I mean, yeah. who, who are you going to call? Yeah, interesting. Uh, <laughs> who are you going to call? Jesus. Yeah. Jesus! Jesus! Ah, <laughs> uh, God. Uh, one thing that I, I that was constantly bothering me that we haven't mentioned yet is the iris. The use of the iris on the camera. Uh. So, like, early on, they use it for some scene cha changes. And I was like, oh, cool. Iris for... Uh, scene transitions but as we go further and the further in the movie they use it all over the place and i couldn't find any rhyme or reason to it like sometimes they do it yeah. on pov shots where like the iris is partly closed sometimes they just like will just use it randomly on these like shots where i was like was it accidental like was it intentional uh they not they never use it consistently like they have this yeah. this tool and it's fun but they don't really know how they should be using it yet it's kind of the the feeling that i got with the iris that's that's kind of what i assumed because i i just kind of i was like okay this is what this is going to be yeah. but it's like the jj abrams yeah. lens flare of the 1920s <laughs> right <laughs> it was just yeah <laughs> I guess that they, 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 uh, I noticed that too. I mean, the only transitions that I've ever done in this film are Irish transitions. It's just close and open, close and open. It's probably because there was nothing else to do. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. you know what I've, like, if uh, this is yeah, obviously that not gonna or be possible. Cut, right? It's a hard cut. Is that it's, or it's, it's a cut. hard cut or yeah. it's an Irish Correct. transition. But then sometimes Correct. there's shots that have the Irish partially closed and I couldn't yes. figure out why, yeah. you know? That was what, that was it, what it was wasn't like out. a particularly yeah it, like the scene wasn't particularly ominous it, there it just yeah, yeah it didn't it didn't fit i feel i feel that it was kind of vignetting stuff i feel that, oh. it, that that's how i interpreted when i saw like the partially close i go like this is a vignette or they're using a, a very wide lens and then he actually like goes above that might be the uh, case too the the you know the opening of the film yeah. you know what i find interesting like if of course this is not going to be possible but if somebody gets a hold of the raw footage and re-edits this film. What could this film be by modern era? And right? like with music too, right? And transitions. But then you lose a lot of historical, <laughs> you know, you lose that, that, right. that preservation of history. You're rewriting history to some extent. Yeah, I mean, this is this is just a thought, like like when yeah. I entertain I like the idea. Could... Uh, well, that, so you that... could also bring new meaning. Oh, sorry. I feel like you could also bring new meaning if, if you you know, clearly state, like you remix it somehow and then you, you yeah. can make like a statement. If it's a short, like maybe not like the whole movie and be like, this is how it actually is or was intended. Like that would not be appropriate, yeah. but. But um, you would be adding context that was not necessarily originally intended. Right. Right. Like you'd be, right. you'd be changing the, the vision of the filmmaker from a hundred years yeah. ago. So I, I feel like mm -hmm. on some level posterity says, leave it alone. Uh, but I had that same thought, like, what if you just redid the soundtrack? Like, you know, you could still have like the, the score that they have in, so, in certain places, but like you could have jauntier music in lighter scenes and like sad music during the funeral. 
because it all feels like we're at the Dracula's castle. So interesting. This is not irrelevant, but like in my undergrad at Towson University, they had this, I can't remember his name, but this DJ had come to show that he remixed music to go with the Birth of a Nation film. And the way that they advertised it, it made it seem like he remixed, like re-edited it to make some sort of point, uh, like against it to like, to, to make a statement, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, kind of like what we were saying, cause he, um, you know, it was like supposed to be this like, you know, anti-racism kind of thing. But then you go and you watch it and I don't remember a lot of it because I just kind of blanked out because it wasn't re-edited at all. It mm -hmm. was the like original, you know, I think he did like a little bit of coloring um, with it. I think there was the whole like orange and blue thing for night and day, but then there's something else there. Um, so, but my thing was like, I didn't really, for this specific film, it didn't feel like the soundtrack added anything. It didn't really gotcha. feel like it followed it that well, but it, that is an interesting concept. Like, like, I feel like there is so much that could be added to it. Um, yeah. but I do like, you could easily that, fix you know, a lot of to... the jump cuts, like the cut on action yeah. cuts or things that could easily be fixed. But at the same time, if you're going to watch it to see what film looked like a hundred years ago, you know, fixing yeah, that is, not... you know, it's retconning history. Right. Yeah. Let me ask. Let, let me ask you both something. Like, if I ask you to hold your heart, how will you do it? Right? Did you notice that every? Did you notice that every time that even Dracula or Nina will hold their heart, they they will use the left hand. They don't go across the chest. They will just do this, which oh. I feel is, which I feel it was, I, I noticed, I go like, what is she doing? And she's doing the gesture of, you know, like, oh my God, but she's not using the right hand. She's using the left hand to go to her heart. And then Dracula used to do the same thing. He just does this with the left hand. And I don't know if this is one of those moments, like the Tarantino thing about like somebody saying three and this is American and three and this is German. And then that's how you tell. I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but every time that they were just doing this motion, they would do it with the left hand. Yeah. I mean, I and know I just, for me, I don't know like, why I know you know, we were trained with the Pledge of Allegiance to put our right hand over our heart. Right. And with the national right. anthem, you put your right hand over your right. heart. Like we're trained to do it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but that is an interesting so cultural thing. Like, 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 it might, but part of me like wonders, like, I feel like the world, most people are like right hand dominated. Like, so part of me feels like, I don't know. I see, I see both, both, both points. Um, we are, these are a bunch that, of left handed actors, like, maybe. Maybe. I thought I that did too. see some left handed like, writing the... at one point. I forget which character. I saw somebody doing the mm -hmm. overhand. Um, uh, maybe Jonathan actually, when he's writing his letter, no. I, I don't quote me on it because I wasn't really paying attention, but I think I, there might've been some left-hand actors in there. Left-handed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> left-handed people. So. <laughs> the, the, the real enemy. Left, the, South the real enemy is the hippies, the vegans and the left-handed people. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, so uh, I, I think I'm going to call time on this discussion. I think we've hit a lot of good points. Uh, next week, we will be doing Metropolis. So that should be an interesting watch. I'm looking forward slash dreading the watch because uh, I know it's a long one. Uh, and it, But hopefully we it's like this one and it's a pleasant surprise 
and it's not as kind yeah. of uh, difficult as we might imagine it. Uh, it's got some of the most revolutionary special effects of its day. So that should be kind of a fun one. Uh, and yeah. Uh, one yeah. last thing. F yeah, final, one last final thing thoughts. I, final thought. There were no camera motion. Everything was just static. Yeah, all sticks. It would jump to something else, but there was no panning, no tilting. There was nothing. It was just simply static shots. And then it's like, it's like they had, I don't know, they didn't have the handle on the tripod and they couldn't move the camera. I don't know why, but there is clearly like, this is just like this thing and then this thing and then this thing, but there's no, yeah. there's no motion. There's, there's no motion whatsoever. Uh, I think actually, no, there is some panning during uh, John's trip from the inn to Dracula's castle, but that's the only motion that I can remember off the top of my head. Right. And yeah. it's, I mean, that must, that must have been technical, not a choice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's at least one that follows the, the, the horses in kind of a, you know, like a really wide shot. It just does kind of a little bit right. of a pan with the horses. Uh, but most of the time you're absolutely right. There's very little motion. Oh, and, and Nina was always wearing black like, um, from the moment that Jonathan leaves, she starts wearing yeah, she black and she doesn't him. leave. She, right. she mourns him from him leaving. Like it's just, <laughs> it's so like details. Like she is like mourning him as if he had died. Did she die at the end? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I feel that like she died. She seems, I, I just, think she sits up. I don't know. Yeah. She sits up. Yeah. I don't know. I remember. I remember looking at it. Ends her, like, so Why does she have to die? It like it, the, yeah. the movie it just does. like ends, and it's like oh, it's just like Dracula dies, and then two scenes later, it's like boom. I did love that one uh, shot of everyone carrying the coffins down. Like I thought that was yeah. very striking, Great and I shot. couldn't help but notice that they were more than six feet apart. And I was like, oh, well, hmm, they know how to handle it. Uh, they know how to handle it. They clearly do. <laughs> could take a lesson, right? You know, they, when we watch when we watch Seven Seal, we're going to go back to that because that that scene that we're talking about Rainfield, that we are confused if it's if the if the scarecrow is Rainfield, that shot of the hill with with a with a figure with a figure on top, it's very iconic from um, the Seven Seal. So I think we're going to talk about it when we watch the Seven yeah. Seal. Um, we could give a list. We actually, unlike our our regular show, we actually know all of the films we're going to do. Uh, just so that I don't forget any, I'm going to pull them up now. And I'll, 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 we're going chronolo chronologically, right? Like you you organize them to they go chronologically. Are somewhat chronologically. So what I did is I mixed them up so that it's like uh, it's a pick from each of us. Uh, and then it's sort of chronological from there. So it, it's not, it's kind of like a weird um, chronology. Where are classic picks? Here we go. So uh, the films we're going to watch in order. We just did Nosferatu. Next is Metropolis. Then we will do Seventh Seal. Then Seven Samurai. Then The Great Dictator. Uh, followed by On the Waterfront. Then we will do The Bicycle Thief uh, or Bicycle Thieves, depending on your translation, uh, and A Raisin in the Sun. And our final and only film in color will be House. House! Which is something Jose has <laughs> been dying to get me to watch for a while. Oh, long time. love. I mean, I just want you both to watch it. And then, I mean, you'll see what I You're going to have to wait uh, a few weeks. But we doesn't will, matter. We will get I waited there. already like a year for you for this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's the whole lineup that we have coming. Uh, it should be fun. Uh, Danielle, any final thoughts since Jose got in some last 
bits there? Do you have any um, anything we uh, missed that you no, were like, I feel like excited? I think the last thing that I thought about was the whole coffin coffin thing. I felt like cool. there were so many interesting visuals. I, I appreciated that the most. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and the yeah. sets were pretty incredible. Like the town set uh, was fairly incredible. There's a lot of merit to this film as well as, mm -hmm. you know, just a lot of learning pains from early film. And, yeah, I mean, and, and exploration of visual effects. Uh, you know, some unsavory societal <laughs> holdovers <laughs> and stereotypes, uh, maybe even uh, early versions of stereotypes that would later become prolific. Uh, so we will try not to judge the film overly harshly, but, uh, you know, Nothing's perfect, and <laughs> and I'm it's glad I'm glad we saw it. And be aware. Yeah, it's very good to be aware. Uh, this was the definitely. The, I think this was all of our first time seeing this film. If that's correct, yeah. And mm -hmm. most of the films on the list are ones that uh, we haven't seen, with just like a couple exceptions. So, uh, where like Jose has seen House, I've seen Seven Samurai. Uh, I you know, but for the most part, we've tried to pick films that we haven't seen. All right, that's our episode. Um, Jose, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. This is great, and I'm looking forward to all the other films. And Danielle, thank you as well. Thanks for having me. I'm super enjoying it. Uh, if you want to find me, you can follow me on Instagram at Danielle Stories, spelled exactly as it seems like it would be. Yeah, two L's. <laughs> I guess. Two L's. Two L's and E. And e. Yeah, you can find me. Uh, on Instagram at John and Paradox. There's no H in that. Uh, and, and until next week, uh, take care of yourselves and, uh, you know, improve your film education however you can. Watch, watch yeah. classic movies.